Welcome to Nordic by Nature, a feature-length podcast on ecology today, inspired by the Norwegian philosopher Arne Ness, who coined the term deep ecology. In this episode, on art, you will hear the voices of two Norwegian artists, Katrina Gangster and Laila Kolostiak. Katrina and Laila are committed to using art as a meeting point for engaging communities in thinking about equity, identity, and our inner and outer natural worlds. But first you will hear a few words from my colleague Ajay Rastogi at the Foundation for the Contemplation of Nature. Ajay works closely with the women of Mashkali village in the foothills of the Himalayas in Uttarakhand, India. He set up the Vrikshalaya Center in the village to be a meeting place and knowledge hub for the villagers and other communities in the Himalayan lowlands as well as for visitors and homestay guests interested in learning about more meaningful forms of sustainability. Katrina Gangster is the founder of the Peace Painting Foundation that runs painting workshops for children, youth and adults all over the world, including war zones. Through her idea of painting for peace, Katrina has engaged over 3,000 workshop participants since 2007 and many more through travelling exhibitions of their work. Katrina has proven that painting can be a safe space for sharing very difficult experiences and emotions, as well as a way to communicate hopes and desires for peace in the world. We will then hear from Lila Kolostiak, a visual artist who works with snow and ice. Lila and her colleagues have engaged a whole generation of young people in creating and enjoying outdoor snow and ice experiences that culminate in the Borealis Festival in Alta, her hometown, which lies 375 kilometers north of the Arctic Circle. I hope you have time to sit back and enjoy listening. My name is Ajay Rastogi and I'm joining from the central Himalayan region of Uttarakhand state in India. It's a lovely sunny morning and we have the mountain views of the high Himalayas in a very spectacular way. And that reminds me of the work of Katrina and Laila, which they do in Norway and all across the world uh, with the children as well as with all age groups inspiring the people to connect with the art. It's uh, a bit uh, of a concern that uh, art is increasingly uh, thought of as something which is only about creativity and not as something which fills us with joy or something that we need to do as a part of our daily schedules or something that we need to connect with in a deeper way as a community because somehow the distinction of work what should be there versus what is leisure is somehow the art has shifted to the world of leisure whereas what we feel is that uh, art and innovation and creativity was a part of our every walk of life we did it in food 
uh, and we did it with the clothing, we did it with the shelter. We were very deeply connected in how we can have a community deeply connected with the landscape, drawing resources from the landscape and uh, making them artistically feasible for us to enjoy and in a very communitarian way. Somehow we feel that it's the art which brings a lot of cooperation and collaboration. Art is also a measure of expression. When we create works of art with natural world and in nature, then I think we are definitely also a lot of harmony involved in it. So there is a considerable amount of happiness and joy. So I think engineers can create art, doctors can create art, lawyers can create art, financial people can create art. Art also creates us. We don't just create the art. And I think that's where we get in deeper in connection with ourselves, with our bodies, with our minds, with our emotions. And we feel that empathetic connect with the community at large. Katrine Gangster and I have grown up in the northern part of Norway and I am working with peace painting. It's a equality project for children and youth. We started in 2007 locally but very soon it became international because we had grants from the foreign departments to try out the way of working with children and youth in other countries. It's a lot of years since I had the idea to use colors as the main platform when we work with equality among children and youth. And that is because I can see color in uh, abstract uh, words. Uh, It's called synesthesia. As long as I have been living, I can see colors in uh, words. It can be a sound and a number and everything. <laughs> I think I was 30 years old when I realized that it was not common to have this skill. When I was a child, if I didn't like the colors that occurred on a, on a city, I didn't want to go there. And it was the same with everything. It, it forms my antipathy and sympathy when I was a child and young woman. When I was studying art history, teaching, and um, different religions, different beliefs, and then I had this idea to try to make an equality project for children and youth, and using visual art and uh, making texts, and it became a big success locally.
first of all, we always have an inspiration time where we talk about seven human needs that everyone has. And we knit it to colors. But in the end, we say every colors are in every colors. So it's open. You can connect how you want. You can connect how it's natural for you to connect. Maybe they just start painting. But we talk about seven human needs as physical needs, emotional needs, and concentration. So you can learn and uh, love and uh, communication. And everyone needs to use their imagination to see longer than the horizon. We talk a lot about this. Imagination. Everything starts there. And we talks about to make something, make a good environment, make friendship. Everyone has a need for making things. Then they start painting. We have a method to make them start. For instance, we always use wide brushes in the beginning. And we have always have the same size in every board, 50, 70 centimeters. And when we use these uh, very wide brushes, it's more easy to start. It's not about the details. It's about the colors and the movements. So it's another way of starting. It's not special age. We work with all ages. It can even be children who are two years old. And then maybe they have their parents together with them or grandparents. And up to 20, 30 years old. It's very nice to be a mixed group with different ages. I think it has something to do with the inspiration time we have in the very beginning. To make everyone equal. Have the focus on the nice things in life. It's positive focus. We have some um, small wooden balls laying on the table and they choose a color which color do you like just now? Maybe in the evening it may be another color. It's very important for them to take part in the inspiration time. And uh, in a way we get known to each other. We connect the colors to, to the body in a way. Colors is visible light. And uh, I always say, what can we see when the sun and the rain at the same time? And then everyone, yes, the rainbow. And I talk about the... Um, in our bodies, we have a lot of water up to the shoulders. And when we are out in the sun and the sun comes into our body, we have some vitamins. Everyone knows that. But I'm sure it's a lot of other things happening also when the sun comes into our body. In my head, I imagine that it becomes a lot of beautiful rainbows in our bodies. Just like raindrops increase when it has been raining and the sun is coming and making a lot of diamonds in the trees. And, and then we talk about the seven human needs everyone has. And we connect it to colors and to the body. Then everyone feel relaxing because we feel equal, equal. And after this session, we started, they started to... Um, to give from their own life experiences when they start choosing colors one by one. So, for instance, one child can choose a color and then say, oh, and then I say, 
oh, what do you associate with this, this color today? And maybe the child can say, this color reminds me about uh, a trousers my grandfather used to use. My grandfather is not alive any longer. So you see, it's very personal what they come out with. So when everyone has given an association to the color they choose, quite often we have been through all the human rights in a way. So it's, it's in a very um, defocused communication. Yeah, it becomes a very good atmosphere. Uh, but 10 is the best number. That is the very best. Quite often we need one to translate. It goes very well. It's not a big thing. Because we are speaking this um, abstract language. We have been in um, refugee camps in Lebanon and we have had workshops in other countries with children who um, lost all their relatives in war. And we can see that um, children who have this terrible experience in losing all their relatives in war, or some people who were close to them, they are really, really wanted their painting to go out in the world. So we bring their painting out in the world and making exhibitions so the children and the youth can have uh, the feeling that their messages are being heard in a democracy. People who are taking big decisions that influence on a lot of people need to hear from children and youth. It's a good inspiration for children and youth. I remember one painting, it was a really big flower and the earth was full of zigzag, 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 very hard. And the, the painting was called To Rise from the Darkness. It was really easy to see that the children really wanted to look to the future. It's a kind of um, therapy, but we do not focus on it. Every time a painting is painted, it is a mirror. And they are sharing what they have inside to the rest of the world. And they feel that I have something important inside that people really appreciate. So that is the environment we make in the workshop. Art is a very good subject to use as a tool. What if equality could be the normal way in acting and forming uh, systems on the earth? It would be so interesting to see what would happen with ecology, nature, with the wars and so on. It's so amazing to see how alike people are all over the world and what they want to describe, what, which messenger they want to give to each other. We have been in a lot of different countries and cultures. Tunisia, Lebanon, uh, North Korea, Philippines, uh, Sri Lanka, Poland, Russia, Portugal, Bulgaria, Finland. Yeah, it's very alike all over the world.
My name is Laila Kolostiak. I'm an artist and I live in Finnmark, northern Norway, in a little village. But I am working with the Alta city centre, uh, making an ice park at the moment. I involve a lot of people in the project, like uh, school children, 16 years old. Everybody in Alta at that age make an ice sculpture. And then we, from the transport, they move the ice and then the builders build with the eyes and then then professional artists and then friends and sculptors from Russia come in to the project and there are volunteers there is an architect office all of a sudden it's just growing and growing and growing we are actually creating a, a park where you can spend time out of doors little by little winter tourism has become very important so now there are two when tourists come along they also sometimes ask if they can help and they participate. And so it's like become this kind of meeting point, the whole park of lots of people. And we start already working outside in January and it's finished in 7th of March and it's sort of growing. And sometimes I don't even know how many people are working there. So it's interesting. But the main thing when I started the project was I think Alta should be a nicer place. The winter is really long and I used to really hate living here because it was so cold. Alta has two months of polar nights from November until end of January really dark with no sunshine and we are 500 kilometers approximately above the arctic circle and alta is situated by the fjord well not far from the arctic sea from the barren sea so it's quite far north and it's three hours drive and you are end up at north cape so that's the end of europe so you can't get further north in europe yeah so that's where i live sort of on the edge of europe really cold when I was a child, I loved being outside. It was never too cold because, of course, you, you have lots of sensible clothes on. So you, you just enjoy being out of doors. And snow and ice, have, have for an artist and for a child, has enormous potential for play and for fun. You know, you can create and you can build really fast, really big, or you can create little things and you can do what you want. And you're using your body all the time you are working. So you get tired, but then you start again, you rest a little bit. And it's like, um, I don't know, it's, it's really fun. People ask, why are you doing it? Why are you working like this? You are you know, a grown-up woman playing in the snow. But that's the only way I can live here, actually. You know, I left Alta because I hated the cold. I went to Paris when I was 19, working as no pair in a, in a family. It took me 12 years before I came back to Alta to live here. Yeah, first I went. I went, was living in England, a little bit in in uh, Holland, in Hungary, in Oslo. I was living in Bergen, and then I went to Lofoten. And so little by little, I returned to the north. But I was really, really dreading, you know, the cold, the winter, and uh, and the only thing I was thinking was longing to go away. And what can I do inside? And then somebody asked me, would you like to participate in an ice sculpting workshop? 
And I said, no, no, I'm an artist. I'm, I, this is not a serious material for an artist. Then I went anyway, and then they gave me this kind of really thick clothes, like children wearing, you know, like a, like a whole suit, you know, really thick and big. And we went to this lake, and there were people from Isotal in Sweden doing this ice course. And they gave me this tool, really sharp tool, and then it was the ice. And then I just remember the first, the sound of, of cutting into the ice. This it was just amazing. It was just like hooked immediately because this has it's such a nice feeling of just the movement of with a sharp tool into the ice. And then all of a sudden, ice transformed. It became really interesting. I started to look at it differently. I thought, oh, you know, it was, first of all, it's interesting as a material because you can see on both sides. At, at the same time, all the environment around it is reflected into the ice. So if you put a ice sculpture outside, then all nature is reflected into it. And then when I was working more with eyes, I was started to reflect on the fact that it is water. It is life. I am 70% water. And this is 100% water. So it's only 30% difference between this block of eyes and me. And every life is dependent on water. I don't think there is any material as interesting for an artist. And then it changes all the time with temperature, concrete form to vapor. That's why you, when you put things in a deep freezer, you have to cover it, otherwise it dry out. The ice is drying out all the time, it disappears in front of your eyes. In Alta, we are so fortunate that it's so cold that we go to a lake and we take out the ice from the lake. So we don't have to produce it. I mean, the nature is producing it for, for us. The way the ice looks like, it, it depends on the temperature that winter or that month before you take it out. You can take it out when it's really thin or you can leave it until end of March, it's a lot thicker. And you can even take care of the, the ice so that it will grow thicker and you can take off the snow that protects the ice. And then if you don't take away the snow, then, then the snow can push down the ice into the, to the water and the water will come up and it will form white ice on top. So you've got two qualities of ice. Ice is all the time moving because there are forces, big forces in ice when it's created. So there are cracks, there are bubbles, there are little fish. Even uh, could find leaves, dog shit, whatever. The water is never the same. You know, you can take it out from a river. And then when you take the ice out, then you just can look at it and you can see, oh, it's been a cold winter or it's been a mild winter. Yeah, you can see that. And then that's how they can read in Greenland when they drill big holes or in the Antarctica to do research on one winter. You know, they can see 1,000 years back and see how the climate, the temperature, and they can measure it. There are stories in the eyes, you know. Several times a day I check what kind of weather will it be. And what I look at is it's not if it's windy or snowing. Or is it above or is it below minus? I don't want to see the red. I don't want it to be warm in the winter. And I can remember my childhood in March, the kind of memory I have that used to be minus 10 during the day 
and minus 20 during the night. This is sort of my memory. And I remember because it wasn't until end of March we would go up into the mountain, go skiing, because it would be too cold to go skiing very far. And every single weekend I used to go skiing with my parents in the mountains. We didn't do that in March because March was too cold. And then now when I look, you know, March is sometimes you have eight degrees. You can have like a warm spell in February that really, really, really warm, maybe for a week sometimes. And I can't remember that from before, you know. What I can see is that you've got trees growing higher up. Little by little, there are new trees coming higher up where, where before there were just mountains and rocks. So you can see trees are growing faster and higher. So it is getting warmer. As an ice artist, I remember when I really, really took it in, it was actually when I, I brought 15 tons of ice to Copenhagen. That was supposed to be the coldest week in Copenhagen. You know, they used to have cold winters in Copenhagen before. So we would do this ice project uh, during a Sami manifestations of Sami artists in Copenhagen. It was so hot, it was so hot the whole time. Just that night until the morning, the wind has changed and shaped the ice and it was disappearing, but at the same time it was really beautiful. So then I started to interest in what is happening to the ice that is melting. I got into reading about the tundra and uh, I did a project for a festival outside Paris where I brought 12 tons of ice to a city called Lime. I made an ice circle of 12 tons of ice. It was six meter diameter and then put earth on top and grass on top and it was melting. And it took, even if it was 24 degrees on the opening night, it took like a month to melt. And then a year after when I came back, I could see the, the change of the different grass that was growing up. Because the grass that we had left on top, people would be stealing, you know. So. So when the ice was gone, people took the grass and brought it back to the back gardens. And, and it was like uh, a year after, there was a circle of new grass. My first year, one star made of ice. I just remember I made a star. And uh, that was my first ice sculpture. At the time, because I just moved back to Alta, I didn't have a studio. And I wish I had a studio and I had all these plans in my head. I need to build a studio, you know. When everybody else had left the lake, I took the last block of ice and I carried back to my car, put it in the back of my car, this big block of ice, and drove home. And then I took my shuffle and then I shuffled outside in a big heap of snow. I put on some lights, I put this block of ice, I put on the radio, and I said, I got my studio. I don't need to build a studio. I already got a studio outside. All of a sudden, I realized that it wasn't the cold I was hating. I really liked the cold, but I didn't like being cold. It's the clothing that's important, that you have good shoes, you're covered with wool underneath, and you have proper clothes then you are free when you're outside. You can sit down on the ground, you can lie in snow, or you can do whatever you want. You can sit on the terrace and have a glass of wine. You don't have to sit inside. You can look at the stars and the northern light or whatever. I remember I came back from Paris just before Christmas, and my son 
came to get me at the airport. And I said to him, we were driving through the snow-covered landscape and there were stars and a little bit of northern light. And I said, oh, God, it's light. It's really, really light. And he said, Mum, it's not light. It's dark. There's no sun. It's, it's dark. And I said, no, no, no. You compare to anywhere in Europe now, it's really dark. It's really dark. It's black because all the snow makes it light. You can see the landscape even when it's dark. This reminds me of my grandmother. <laughs> I used to go into her house when I was little and she would sit in the darkness, complete darkness. During the dark period, with the polar night period, I would ask her, my grandmother, why, why are you sitting here in the darkness? And she said, come, come have a look. When I'm in the darkness, I can see the little light outside. And if I put on the light, I don't see anything. The Snow and Ice Project, it gives sort of an identity to the, to the young people so that now everybody expects that when they are in 16 years old, they're supposed to do an ice sculpting course and the high school building department, transport department and the art department, they all take part in this uh, creating of uh, the festival as long as well as professionals. And this year we are doing a project about the river Elva. And that's because this year it is the year of the wild salmon. And then I thought that it would be good to focus on the river, you know. The river is uh, all cultures, you know, agriculture, people's lives are from the river. So we are making a, a river going through the park full of life from from the mountain plateau until the fjord. And the fjord will be an ice skating rink. And it's also a voyage from the Samidram until the the fight for the Alta River, Altakshun, that was here in the 70s, 80s. For five years, there was this big battle against building out the river. Eventually, they lost, but the Sami gained our, well, we as a Sami, we gained our parliament, Sami parliament. The Norwegian government have just decided to, to give permission to copper mining company, the copper mine in Repafjord, put a lot of the waste from a copper mine, can put it in the fjord, not so far from here. How is it possible today, with all the knowledge that we have, do we need this copper so badly that we cannot think where to put the waste, even if it's a bit more expensive? I think this uh, river project that we're doing, maybe people will think, well, it's still an issue because we're dealing with the environmental battle from the river uh, of Alta. And this happened when I was young, you know, so my father, he was working for the environmental organization. He brought me to uh, all these demonstrations and manifestations against building out the river. In Alta, there is a tradition for having a big market twice a year, in November and in March, exactly when the festival is. So traditionally, the Sami would come to sell their stuff and the Russians would come. And now today, it's exactly the same. There are lots of people from Russia coming to sell their products. And there are the Sami people selling their handicrafts or local producers making teas or meat or... Thai people making uh, making spring rolls. There is a guy in a van. He is selling kebab, and he, I think he is from Syria. The basis of the local people are a mix of people. 
Norwegian and the Kvan, the Finnish people, you know, really long time ago. Now no, we got people, I don't know, from 40 different nations living in Alta. But for instance, when I talk about identity, for me, what's interesting is what happens now that we can, we can share and we share, we share the cold, you know, it doesn't matter what kind, where your father came from. If you live here, it's, it's cold. You have to deal with the cold. We also have been working a lot with Russian artists. And this year, we also will have Russian students coming from the art school of Murmansk. I'm really happy for that. It's even more important for artists and people to actually to connect and try to still work together. And we have to create a better future. It's not possible to close your eyes to your neighbor. It's not possible. The basis of what we are doing is actually, you know, it's the cold. So if it's if it's if it gets warmer, we can't do this snow and ice thing. And it's really strange because when I was young, tourists came to visit the north to see the midnight sun. There were no tourists at all in the winter period. And now it's upside down. I think it is because of the climate change. All of a sudden people are interested in the cold because Europe doesn't have any long winters anymore. It so people come here and uh, discover that, yeah, we, we need to take care of the cold. And, and for the local people, it's, it's actually a resource. It's a part of our identity. I don't, you know, imagine if we didn't have any winter, what would we do without the winter? Before we used to think what we do when we have the winter. So it's turned upside down. I think the period when you see the most people are out of doors and spending time in the center is actually during the festival when we are making snow and ice out, when it's the dog sleigh race, when we build up everything that there are, really a feeling of life and things are happening. Otherwise, I think it's quite dead because people are staying indoors. The most important work is actually, you know, like the teachers are doing or artists working with kids. That's the work that hasn't got any recognition and doing paintings and only thinking about yourself and put them in galleries, then you are a great artist. But if you work with kids or you work with snow and eyes or whatever, then it doesn't happen in that way, you see? And therefore, I think a lot of artists would avoid exactly working as I do. <laughs> and the kids, they're just there, you know. But I think it's really, really important for any artist to consider where they are and be a part of where they are. It's like a duty, you know? I have a duty to give back what I've been given. You know, why do I do it? Yeah, and I know the reason. I want Alta to be a better place than it was when I was growing up. That's why I do this, including because it's, it has been a very close place where you, you are skeptical to strangers, you, you're not supposed to talk to strangers and all of it. And, and I always thought strangers was the most interesting thing of all, you know? People you didn't know what they were thinking and they were looking different and they were eating different food. I think all that's interesting. It makes your life much more rich. So I think there's not enough different people we're not allowed to be as different as we are but at the same time we are being different we are the same i really like the fact that you, i don't know who said that a stranger is only a friend that you don't know yet i mean if i was really realistic 
I wouldn't do any of what, what I'm doing. Who would work with snow and ice and who would work with kids? You cannot be environmentalist and not think about people, not think about the kids. I think artists and doing art with children is quite important. And then doing it in a way that it resembles play. In the autumn, uh, well, I did this uh, land art project with kids that were they were seven years old, and every day there would be a class coming to the beach area in Alta. There is a beach and a forest. It's really beautiful with lots of old pine trees. And it was quite interesting to see because I have been in France and seen the little children going to the kindergarten and then where they are in little squares with concrete and they play out and they're dressed like little women and little, you know, with skirts and short trousers, also like that in England. And then you see these little Norwegian children. I think that made me really proud because they are really sensible dressed with high boots and, and suits to sit on the ground. And they all prepared a little packed lunch, sausages, and they can stay outside. Even if it's really, really cold, like it was minus four degrees, a wind, rain, sleet. And they didn't complain, you know. They were, they were just getting on with it. And then they we were grilling our sausages on the bonfire and they had all the equipment that they needed and they were all prepared and they were all really happy being outside so i think the kindergarten and teachers in the younger age in school are doing a great job with with the kids being outside i've read that french kindergartens are coming to visit kindergartens in norway just to see how we actually manage to have kids being outside. We uh, had um, uh, like a kickoff for the project at the high school with all the builders and the people from the transport department. We invited a historian to come and talk a little bit about the history of the river. And then he was telling me about something I didn't know. Alta is the name of the town now. And the part where I come from was called Elvebakken. And it existed an even older name that was called Sorkos. And it's the name of a bird. In Norwegian it's called Svemmesnipa. So Sorkos is the name of a bird. And it's a bird that migrates. And it has a really thin beak. It migrates to the tropics from Lapland. You don't find this bird in southern Norway or southern Scandinavia. And it's the woman that is has the nice feathers. And she lays the eggs. And she leaves the upbringing to the male bird. And she's really bossy. And she's if ever, somebody's attacking, then she's the one who defends him and the kids. But in the end, she leaves and she goes off to the tropics again. And she leaves him all the work with him. And she also has several partners. So it's, it, it's the world where it's upside down. So I just thought it was really funny that this bird has given the name to the place where I come from.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Nordic by Nature on Art. You can find more information on our guests and a transcript of this podcast on imaginarylife.net slash podcast or foundnature.org slash podcast. Katrina Gangster's website is peacepainting.org. You can find Lila Kolostiak on Facebook through the website icircle.info and her own website, lilakolostiak.com. We are also fundraising on patreon.com slash nordicbynature. Please help us by sharing a link to this episode with the hashtag TracesOfNorth and follow us on Instagram at nordicbynaturepodcast. The music was created by Diego Losa. You can find Diego through his website diegolosa.blogspot.com. You can read more about RJ Rastogi's nature-centered mindfulness and the village homestay programs and mountain resilience courses on foundnature.org. You can also follow the Foundation for the Contemplation of Nature on Facebook and Contemplation of Nature on Instagram. We'd love to hear your thoughts about our podcast, so please don't hesitate to email me, Tanya, on nordicbynature at gmail.com.